So the readings taken from Isaiah 53, uh, starting at verse 1. Um, if you want it on the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1285. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Stephen. So this Sunday, uh, as we approach Easter, a few weeks, uh, we're taking this week just to home in on the cross, the cross of Jesus, who the heart of our faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible prophecy from Isaiah. Seeing you, seeing your son come to the cross uh, to carry our sin, that we might live uh, with new life and freedom and forgiveness. Lord, would you lead us by your spirit as we consider these things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening to you all. My name's Andy. I'm the curate, so I'm one of the ministers here at St. Paul's. And we're looking at the cross tonight from Isaiah 53. And, you know, the cross is such a common cultural symbol, especially for us uh, here in the West. Some of us wear it around our necks. You might have a tattoo of the cross somewhere on your body. You know, the cross is the symbol of medicine and first aid. Um, it's the basis of many of our flags. You just look at the English flag or the Scottish flag that are based around crosses. Uh, Anglican churches, many churches, the buildings themselves are actually in the shape of a cross. Uh, it's maybe a little harder to tell with St. Paul's. There's different bits that have been added on, but this is a cross-shaped 
uh, building. Alexander McLaren, 19th century Scottish pastor, said that the cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot around which all events of the ages revolve. I want to put up a slide, uh, just a piece of art about the cross. This is 1951. The Spanish artist Salvador Dali uh, painted this incredibly uh, moving and striking uh, painting of the cross. And they've got Jesus on the cross there and kind of looking down below him kind of is the world. And although Dali kind of in the 40s kind of actually renounced his faith, he still was captivated by the cross. And he kind of talked to, uh, as he was kind of creating this painting, this sense of universality, of inescapability from the cross. You know, and painting, working in a world after the Second World War, during the Cold War, time of uncertainty, he was drawn to the cross of Jesus. And I wonder, what does the cross mean to you this evening? For some of you, it would be very familiar, as you've been following Jesus for many years. For some, maybe it's something that's kind of always been there, but not quite sure how it works, you know, what the theology of it is, what the significance of it is. Perhaps you have questions about it. Or for some, perhaps it's completely new. Just a cultural thing. But the thing is, we never, we never move on. We never graduate from the cross. And so it's really fitting at this time that we're just going to come back to the cross. Reflect on these words from the prophet Isaiah. And uh, I pray that we will encounter something afresh or for the first time in this. So we're looking at Isaiah 53, this amazing prophecy about the cross. It's written centuries, many centuries before Jesus was even born. And yet looking back, you can see just how this is exactly uh, what Isaiah was writing about, what his vision was about, you know, that Jesus took our place on the cross. So very simply, I just want to just have a reflection on the cross. First, the cross has a cost. The cross has a person, the person of Jesus. Uh, the cross has a victory. And what does it mean for us? The cross is costly. So the cross has a cost. And the cost is death. And that death is a consequence of sin, human sin, our sin. Uh, in the New Testament of the Bible, St. Paul writes in uh, Romans, the wages of sin is death. Life disconnected from God is to die. And of course, the cross is a, is a means of death. It was a, a form, a particularly brutal form of execution in the ancient world. The Romans eventually outlawed it because it was such a painful and shameful way to die. And that's the place that Jesus died. And when we're cut off from the source of life, you know, we, we will wither and die. Um, this morning for Mother's Day, we were giving out these daffodils. Um, it really got me thinking, you know, when this daffodil has been, been plucked off and it is going to die. 
You know, no matter, you can put it in some water, we can put some plant food, other things to try and kind of keep it going. But ultimately, it's been cut off from its root and it's going to wither in a day or so. And, you know, when we sin, when we reject the creator's way, when we go our own way, when we seek to live without God, it's kind of like we're breaking ourselves off from the root that gives us life. You know, Isaiah has all of this in view. He talks about, you know, you might want to have the passage open. Uh, he talks about our pain, our suffering, our transgressions, our iniquities, the punishment, the wounds, the iniquity of us all, all of which are taken up and laid on Jesus. In verse 5 particularly, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it picks up on two kind of elements of this kind of sin, this death. The first is transgressions. That's like our rebellious acts. It's kind of the, the decisions we make, the actions we do, the things we desire. And the word to transgress kind of means to to choose to go beyond a limit or a boundary, in this case, kind of the, God's moral law. You know, it's the things we do, the way we live our lives, so often are opposed to the good God, the good creator, what he has for us, what he intends for us. And it affects all of us. Uh, the fourth century African theologian, Augustine of Hippo, described sin as like a curving of a life curved in on itself. I don't know, can you relate to that? I know I can. You know, in your actions or desires or relationships. And you know, unlike the daffodil, you and I get to choose whether we're severed or not. We get to choose what happens to us. You know, we get to choose to remain on the stem or to break away. But all of us have chosen to break free. You know, Isaiah has that, just at the end of the reading, uh, we heard, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, away from God. So you have that kind of transgressions, the acts, but also there are iniquities. It's kind of like our, there's something more than just Simple actions, but there's a, a kind of there's something broken in the human heart, a kind of fallenness in the human nature. The Hebrew here means kind of to be bent over double, you know, to, to be twisted. It's a kind of bentness, a perversity in the human heart. And there's a spiritual element to this too. Uh, over the last three weeks, um, here at St. Paul's in the morning and the evening service, we've been looking at the three great enemies. Uh, of the Christian life, haven't we? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, based on John Mark Comer's Live No Lies uh, book, which Jonathan is asking all of us to read uh, for Lent, it's this idea that the, the devil's lies that kind of play on our disordered desires, normalized in sinful society, which leads to this sin, this death, in our lives, each of our lives. And you know, our, our human nature doesn't excuse us, but it does mean that we absolutely can't save ourselves. You know, the problem of sin isn't something that we can uh, solve. 
with better structures or you know, more funding or more education. Important, those things are important, but they can't ultimately solve the problem of sin, the problem of the brokenness in the human heart. And this is where the, there was this Victorian idea uh, a couple of hundred years ago of, this, of human progress that was going to just keep going and we'd kind of build heaven on earth, we'd build a, a utopian society. And it's kind of picked up in kind of scientism of new atheism that we can, we can do it. Just give us enough time and the, the human spirit, human society, we can build a, a perfect place. But you know how the 20th century, 21st century, even now as we look at the news, has shown that you know, the more knowledge we have, the more resources we have, the more power we have, only serves to kind of accentuate sin and suffering. It doesn't lessen it. And some people might say, you know, this problem of evil, why can't God just like wave his magic wand, make it all better? Why does he need the cross? The thing is that God is so committed to us, loves us so much that he won't compromise our freedom. He lets us choose. That's part of what makes the horrible war that's going on in Ukraine so tragic is, you know, we can't just wave a magic wand and everything will go back to the way it is. You know, if only Putin just withdrew his troops, we could go back to the way it is. That's not the case. It's not the way it works, is it? You know, justice is to be paid. There's, been, there's lives that have been lost and ruined, communities that have been destroyed. We can't just gloss over that conflict, this conflict that's ongoing, and neither will God gloss over the conflict that we have with him. And you know, what a mess the world's in, how we need God to help us, to heal us. The cross has a cost, but that's only half the story. The cross also has a person. This is the good news the person of Jesus. It's none other than God himself that is on the cross. It could be us, it should be us, but instead it is Jesus, it is God's son. And Jesus is clearly in view here in Isaiah 53, first couple of verses, talks about the arm of the Lord's being revealed. This is Jesus, this is his son. He's fully divine, fully God, but he's fully human too. You know, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. God fully identified himself with us when he sent his son amongst us, a human being just like you and me. And if we run through verses 4 6 again, each instance of that pain and sin and brokenness, Jesus takes it on himself. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Literally, he shoulders our suffering. Before the service, we were praying um, as a team, and one of the team didn't know I was preaching on the cross uh, tonight, had this really strong picture, might be for, for one of us here tonight, of someone at the cross, at the cross of Jesus, with a heavy rucksack on. Something in your life, some, some, whatever it is and a sense of just not being able to take it off, something weighing you down, that you know needs to be taken off and dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Jesus took 
It says he took up our pain and he bore, he shouldered our suffering. Would you let Jesus remove that for you tonight? It says he was pierced for our transgressions, those rebellious acts. He was crushed for our iniquities, you know, that, that twisted, that bent human nature. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He was sentenced to death on the cross instead of us. By his wounds we are healed. He went through the agony and the shame of public execution so that we might be forgiven. And the Lord laid on him, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In love, God offers himself in our place. We, all of us have sinned and we still do, Every week as we come to church, we make sure to have a time to just to confess before God because this is something that is part of our experience every day. All of us have fallen short of the goodness of God, the glory of God. But Jesus went to the cross in yours and my place. And the God of the Bible, he's not a remote deity. He's not like the, the God of Islam, Allah. You don't know before you die whether your good deeds will outweigh your bad. He's not detached like the Buddha, serene and uh, untroubled by what's going on in the world, calls us to, uh, to withdraw. He's not vengeful like the, the pagan gods of Greece and Rome, you know, who you had to try and placate them with sacrifice. On the cross, God sacrifices himself for us. It's not anything that we bring. He comes and lays himself down for us. By his wounds, we are healed. Uh, One of my favorite lines from uh, one of my favorite hymns, did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown as on the cross? And you know, Jesus chose detachment from God so that we might be reconnected to him. He chose death that we might have life. So the cross has a cost, it has a person, the person of Jesus, and the cross has a victory. Later on in in this chapter in Isaiah, we didn't read it, but in verses 10 to 12, looks to the victory of Jesus and his resurrection. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He will be raised back to life as Jesus was from the grave. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He'll divide the spoils with the strong. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Roman soldiers divided his, you know, what was left of his possessions between them. Jesus is victorious. As he rises from the grave, he'll divide the spoils amongst the strong, defeating the devil uh, and all that is evil in the spiritual realm. Because he poured out his life unto death 
and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus made intercession for you. Made intercession for me. You know, earlier I quoted from, uh, from Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, but I only said the first half of what Paul wrote. The full verse is, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, Jesus has taken that, that cost of the cross on himself for you and for me that we might be free. You know, this is stuff that might be super familiar, but this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we must uh, never allow our hearts to grow calloused about Jesus is alive. And uh, we have well, a few crosses up in the church big one here to the left and in some churches you have crosses with Jesus still hanging on it but the cross here is empty because Jesus didn't stay on the cross he is risen new life so the co- that cost has been paid but the, co- the cross is still costly the cross has a cost it's been paid, but it's still costly. So I want to just kind of come to land with. I want to finish with one of my favorite modern uh, Christian leaders and theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is someone who really understood and uh, lived uh, the costliness of the cross. This is one of the books he wrote. Um, I highly recommend it if you're kind of fairly new on your journey with Jesus, or perhaps if you feel like maybe you're just a bit stagnant or feeling a bit overcomfortable, this will certainly uh, help you out. (laughs) It's one of the most challenging books I've ever read, a reflection on the cross of Jesus and what that means uh, for us in our lives. So uh, Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor. He lived in Germany Uh, through the 1930s and 40s. So he witnessed firsthand the rise of Hitler and Nazism and the Second World War. He saw parts of the church and Christians around him kind of acquiescing to culture and political power. Perhaps not unlike we're seeing parts of the church in Russia today. Uh, and uh, he actually worked in the resistance against the Nazi regime. He was imprisoned and, and he was executed in 1945, very soon before uh, the war finished. And Bonhoeffer, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, he coins these terms, cheap and costly grace. You know, amazing grace has been extended to each of us through Jesus on the cross. But what we do with that grace, what it means in our lives, shows like how valuable it is, whether it's cheap or whether it's costly to us. And cheap grace is when the cross makes little or no difference in your life. You know, the way you live, the way you relate to God, the way you relate to others. Costly grace is an acknowledgement of the depth that God went to save you. His love for you and this kind of whole life commitment to following Jesus, every area of our lives. I just want to read a quote uh, from Bonhoeffer on this. It says, Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace 
because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man, costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. So I wonder, how will you respond to the cross tonight? As we share communion together, as we're going to in just a moment, we recall the, the Lord's body and blood given for us on the cross. How costly will we count that grace in our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, another of Paul's letters. He writes, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What's cost God much can't be cheap for us. And Jesus doesn't call us to a life of ease, but a life spent following him. He doesn't call us to uh, a life where we just make light of sin in our lives and put up with it, but a life that's laid down, a life turning away from those things. Jesus doesn't call us to, or he does call us to a life of love and grace, the love and grace of God, and also to a life that's shaped around Jesus' priorities, who Jesus says we are, not what others say we are in the world around us. I just wonder, will will we be a church, a community, a generation that stands up, follows Jesus no matter the cost, and takes the gospel to our hurting land, so in need of knowing the love of God. So in need that knowing that it's not about being good enough, but it's accepting Jesus put on the cross for you and for me and letting that transform everything. So we're going to have communion in just a moment and I just want to invite you, perhaps if you want to make some kind of response to this response to the cross perhaps after you've you've received we've got a cross here on the left hand side perhaps you might just want to come and kneel at the cross do you just make sure we leave a bit of space for us to get round just to make this personal perhaps to, to rededicate your life to the Lord who went to the cross for you and for me shall we stand and pray I'd just like to invite the band to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't reckon the cost of your own son, the life of your own son, too dear for us. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for each one of us. Thank you. Pray for any of us here who perhaps just feel 
distant from you, don't feel your love, don't know it. Perhaps he, this is something that's kind of, is so familiar that it's lost its edge. We pray that we would know your love. Holy Spirit, that you would come and show us again the fire of your love for us, the lengths you went for us. And we pray too, Lord, would we live lives reflecting that costly grace that you've offered us, that you've won for us. Lord, let let us not uh, live in a place of cheap grace where we just take for granted you're going to the cross for us. Teach us, Lord, help form in us lives that are lived postured towards you, attentive to you, attentive to your voice over the voice uh, of the world, of the flesh, of the devil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.